following message is by a guest speaker of Emmanuel Community Church. More information about the ministry of Emmanuel Community Church can be found online at www.emmanuelcommunity.org. So uh, we are going through the four traditional themes of Advent, joy, peace, hope, and love. Uh, Pastor Steve went over joy last week, but I'll be, expo- I'll be expounding on peace, right? And, um, and that's the Hebrew word shalom and the Greek word arene. Uh, yeah, it's such a, <laughs> such a cool word, right? Arene. I feel like I'm in the... Lord of the Rings speaking Elvish or something, right? Like, as we do that, as we go and look into shalom, peace, right? We find that the depth of significance and meaning goes so much further than the de- definition of an absence of conflict. Shalom means and is used in many different ways in the Bible. Health, welfare, safety, soundness, tranquility, prosperity, perfectness, rest, harmony, repayment. You know, these are just some of the various ways in which shalom is used and defined in the Bible. But from its wide range of meanings and usage, we want to center on the Hebrew word shalom as it is defined in terms of being complete, sound, being in a state of wholeness or fulfillment. The essence of shalom is not entirely alien to us either. You know, when your son or daughter finally comes home for the holidays and, and you are all sitting around the dinner table together as a family, once again united, you, you have a sense of shalom there. Or, or when you feel sluggish, zombie-like, even depressed, but then take a vitamin D, take some vitamin D and, and feel yourself alive again, right? Aware, motivated, productive. You feel a little more complete, right? You, you, you've had a sense of shalom there. Right? Or spending time in God's creation, whether it be the mountains of Colorado or the beaches of Boracay, Philippines, right? Or, or the forest scenes of the Pacific Northwest. You could have sensed a little bit of shalom there as well. Or if you experience anything like our sister Adelaide with that beautiful testimony that she shared with us. If you experience anything like our sister Adelaide did when your parents make a substantial recovery from a serious disease, regaining your loved ones from your worst fears, you experience shalom. Shalom, complete, sound, being in a state of wholeness or fulfillment, united, one. Okay, so if I were to ask you this question, how does God live? Or what binds the Trinity together? Or what is God's dream? For all those questions, shalom would be a very appropriate answer. God's dream is for his entire creation to live in accordance with the way of shalom. God is looking and actively bringing this about in all of creation. And it is this vision of shalom that brings a renewed sense of hope to all that is broken in the world. We have to understand that shalom is, in the, is the air in which God wants us to breathe. Right? It's, it's the water that he wants us to live and swim. Right? Shalom is how life was meant to be from the very beginning. Terry McGonigal, Dean of Spiritual Life at Woodworth University, puts it this way. Although the word peace appears over 500 times in Scripture, 
This theme and its implications have been overlooked in biblical theology. God's design for and delight and diversity are embedded in the creation narratives, which describe order, relationships, stewardship, beauty, and rhythm as the essential foundations for shalom, the way God designed the universe to be. You know, one, one movie scene that actually comes to mind is this movie, uh, old school movie, Avatar. Um, if, if you recall, there was a scene in the movie where they were all gathered together, praying and chanting to the tree of Ewa. Right? They were all together sitting and, and kind of like, you know, throbbing their bodies with the heartbeat of the tree or something. And they were, they were praying and chanting all so that they can save a life. Um, Grace, who was played by Sigourney Weaver, um, they were all, what? They were all together doing that. Right? Now, hold on. Before you judge the scene and accusing me of being a pagan pastor or, showing, or accusing me of showing a heretical example of syncretism, there is something to the oneness they had with one another and the rest of creation in looking to heal this individual. Right? Rather than seeing syncretism, notice their synchrony of being. You see what I did there? There is synchrony of being, which I think brings a great picture of shalom. You see, shalom was in full display in the Temple Garden of Eden. All that made up of light, all that made up life in the garden was together, in harmony, in sync. From the days of, of the creation in Genesis, where God was preparing a bountiful and beautiful home for mankind to dwell in and commune with him, absolute shalom was present. But as you know, mankind willfully decided to trust in themselves, right? determine what is good and evil, forsake the promises and access to eternal life, and reject the reign, rule, and relationship with the creator God. It was that decision that led to the tearing, the tearing of the very fabric of shalom. And it is where we find ourselves today. So I want to focus in three major areas within the complexity of life where shalom is disruptive, shattered, absent, and where creation bends more towards fragmentation, brokenness, division, and chaos. These three areas are as follows. Number one, children. Number two, in-laws. Number three, whining children and nagging in-laws. I am kidding. That's, uh, that's the second installment of this, of this uh, Sermon on Peace. Just kidding. All right, anyway, the areas of fragmentation that we will be addressing is our relationship with God, our relationship with society, and our relationship with one another. For our relationship with God, there is idolatry right, that disrupted shalom. For our relationship with the larger societal realm, there is lack of mercy and injustice. And for our relationship with one another, within the church, there is division. So let's start. Let's take a look at each one and see how we can look to bring shalom in each of these areas. So I'm going back to the breaking off of the covenantal relationship of God in the garden from the taking of the fruit from the tree of knowledge of good and evil. There took place a willful decision not to trust or depend on God's wisdom, timing, and knowledge. Okay? To determine for ourselves what is good and evil. Right? To bring about a self-dependence and reliance on our own knowledge when mankind decided to rebel. Throughout the history of mankind, this independence has created some very destructive inventions and devastating moments, things that started off with good intentions but ended up as life-destroying products, like the atomic bomb, social media, etc. You know, Pastor Steve actually addressed this very well in further detail in his sermon back in October on the tree of life. Okay. But not only do we find a misuse of our forget-you-God knowledge 
But I want to look at the rebellious exaltation of knowledge itself, right? That, that has led to a deep deception and compartmentalization of what it means to live for God. What I'm talking about is a divide between belief and practice, right? A dualism that has plagued Christianity throughout the ages. For example, uh, the Enlightenment, right? Before the Enlightenment, Christian mission was considered the mother of theology, but, but after the influence of the Enlightenment age, what, what Christians knew and what they actually did could be understood separately. Right? It, was, it was now possible that one could hold correct doctrinal beliefs and not demonstrate them and even act contrary to them. Right? After these categories were created, people only needed the rationale of the mind to favor orthodoxy, correct beliefs, over orthopraxy, correct action. As, as long as one held correct doctrine, their faith was held legitimate. This duality has infiltrated what it means to be a Christian. Look, as long as you can say the right things, right, know the right things, then you're, then you're fine and dandy with your relationship with God. Right? It, it is to bank on a set of facts, data points, and rules. Right? As long as you know the, the right set of truths, then you're righteous before God and saved. But, but what does Jesus say in the Great Commission, right? He did not say teach them to fill their minds only, right? But, but to teach them to obey from their hearts and to their hands. Right? This duality, this exaltation of knowledge over action, orthodoxy over orthopraxy, head over heart and hands has led to a complete shattering of our relationship dynamic with God. In our society today, in our educational system, for the most part, the acquiring of facts, knowledge, it's, a, it's like a commodity, right? And, when, and with that commodity, you advance, you're rewarded, you, you level up. And, then, and for the information that you acquire, you, you, move, you move up in life, right? This is not Christianity. Our faith is based on knowing and doing. Right? The Bible tells us we will be judged by what we do, not just in what we know. And the pages of the Bible are filled with warnings of this duality. Look with me here. James 1.22, but, but be doers of the word and not hearers only deceiving yourselves. Luke 6.46, why do you call me Lord, Lord, and do not do what I tell you? John 14.15, if you love me, you will keep my commandments. 1 John 3.18, little children, let us not love in word or talk, but in deed and in truth. One of the great reformers, Martin Luther, said this, right, we are saved by faith alone, but the faith that saves is never alone. What he's saying, along with Jesus, James, Paul, and you know, pretty much the Bible, is basically that your salvation is by faith alone, but faith is never alone. It always manifests the works of God's children. It is something that is displayed. Listen, if I tell my wife that I'm going to give her an awesome gift for Christmas and I give her a vacuum, which I did, which I did only because she wanted one, and that's the only time that's, that it's a, that's appropriate to, to buy a vacuum for your spouse, okay? But, but say she didn't ask for a vacuum and I got that for her and she gets it and she, you know, she becomes, you know, disappointed. And she looks at me, offended, but I say, yeah, oh, man, honey, but I love you. 
Or, or then the next day I say, I'm going to vacuum the living room with this brand new vacuum, right? But, but I don't do it. And she asks me, why didn't you do it? And I reply, you're right. I didn't. But you know what? I love you. And then the next day she asks, could you please help me with the kids and play with them? And I say, yes, yes, I will play with the kids. But then I don't. And she asks me why. But then I say, I know I didn't do it. But honey, mahal kita, saranghe, I love you. And this pattern continues and she eventually gets fed up and says, why do you call me wife, wife, and do not do what I tell you? If my words and sentiment of love are not accompanied by that love in action, my wife and I, well, we have a broken, shalomless relationship, and the same goes for our our relationship with God. Here's my point. Here's my point. Shalom between us and God has been disrupted, polluted. The dividing wall between us and God can be caused by knowing about him but not really knowing him, right? It can be proclaiming Jesus' lordship but never relinquishing our own lordship over our own life, right? It can be believing the right things but never doing the right things, so amongst all of you, who am I talking to first, right? Who am I talking First off, I am talking to myself. Okay, that's me. All right, so this is a rebuke to me. But I'm also talking about our fellow pastors, seminarians, our elders, the married, single. Everyone, everyone right, falls in this trap. You know, we would do well to model after other cultures and indigenous people groups, right? So... Maybe like, you know, Native Americans. Native Americans actually see belief and practice as one and the same. There is no dichotomy. There is no dualism. It, it doesn't register with them. It doesn't even exist. The way they see it, if the belief, if the belief is not lived out, it's not, it's not belief at all. May shalom be reestablished by a real and living relationship with God that is marked by love and obedience from the heart. So what are some things we can do then? That brings us to our next point. From our relationship with God to our relationship with the larger society and community, we find a dissolve in shalom due to injustice and mercilessness. You know, from the many protests that have occurred this past year, one of the chants that you might have heard cry out was, No justice, no peace. No justice, no peace. That cry is profoundly biblical, and it points to this deep truth that There is no shalom without justice. God has always had special concern for the disenfranchised, the poor, the needy, the groups of people that actually get mentioned in Scripture frequently are the widows, orphans, and foreigners. Widows, orphans, and foreigners can be considered as the disempowered triad. The disempowered triad as they appear throughout the Old and New Testament time and time again, all three representing the concerns of the poor, the downtrodden, and oppressed. Why these three groups? A widow has no husband, therefore no legal or social standing. An orphan has no father, resulting in no inheritance, and therefore no future. A foreigner considered an outsider with no family ties and no inheritance. You see, this disempowered triad best represents those who have few material goods and who are most easily oppressed And it is shalom that addresses God's concern for the socially marginalized. It is is a constant and fervent command to bring generosity, care, and provision to those such as these. And look at this. Like, through his laws, through the Sabbath, 
ordinance, through the Jubilee system, through festivals and celebrations in the Old Testament, God provides for those who are most needy through his people. For example, in the command for his people to tithe, Deuteronomy 14, 28, 29 says this, And at the end of every three years you shall bring out all the tithe of your produce in the same year and lay it up in your towns. And the Levite, because he has no portion or inheritance with you, and the sojourner slash foreigner, the fatherless, orphan, right, and the widow who are within your town shall come and eat and be filled that the Lord your God may bless you in all the work your hands that you do. You know, as we move towards the New Testament, God, the New Testament God's posture doesn't change. James 1.27, religion that is pure and undefiled before God the Father is this, to visit orphans and widows in their affliction to keep oneself unstained from the world. This is how Israel and how believers today work out their righteousness and relationship before God. This posture is consistent as to how Jesus preached and lived as he drew close to a Samaritan woman and a Roman centurion and as he hung out with tax collectors and prostitutes and and sinners and as he acknowledged widows and healed shepherds um, and healed the diseased and the physically maimed. During this Advent season, as we, as we wait upon the coming of Emmanuel, we find that Jesus was doing this even from birth as lowly, disenfranchised shepherds had front row seats, front row seats to the newly born baby Messiah, in turn having their dignity and worth restored. Listen, justice and mercy towards the disempowered, this is so personal, this is so personal to God. Jesus says this in Matthew 25, 41 to 46, then, then he will say to those on his left, depart from me, you cursed, into the eternal fire prepared for the devil and his angels. For I was hungry and you gave me no food. I was thirsty and you gave me no drink. I was a stranger and you did not welcome me. Naked and you did not clothe me. Sick and in prison and you did not visit me. Then they also will answer saying, Lord, when did we see you hungry or thirsty or, or a stranger or naked or sick or in person and, and did not minister to you? Then he will answer them, saying, Truly I say to you, as you did not do it to one of the least of these, you did not do it to me. And these will go away into eternal punishment, but the righteous into eternal life. Justice, injustice, mercilessness is deeply personal to God. You'd be hard-pressed to find a more atrocious picture of the brokenness and fragmentation of life than the existence of injustice and lack of concern and care for the poor, the oppressed, and disempowered. It's here that lies an obvious absence of shalom where fragments of the whole are left to suffer with no one to fight or speak for them. Randy Woodley, who wrote Shalom in the Community of Creation, says this, There is no private or partial shalom. The whole community must have shalom or no one has shalom. As long as there are hungry people in the community that is is well fed, there, there can be no shalom. Where there are homeless and jobless people amidst the employed and wealthy, shalom cannot exist. Shalom is not for the many while a few suffer, nor is it for the few while many suffer. It must be available for everyone. In this way, shalom is everyone's concern. Shalom very much defines the common good. You know, what Randy Woodley is basically saying is everyone must have shalom. Everyone. If anyone is left out, if anyone's oppressed, singled out, 
discriminated against, if there are those who fall prey to injustice, any amount of people who are suffering in our world, there can be no shalom. Basically, there is no shalom without justice and mercy. You know, I had the privilege of teaching a summer class this past summer, um, a class on race, ethnicity, and the gospel. Our very own Richard helped teach and run that class as well. And, and during the course of the class, Richard recommended that a colleague of his would come in and be a guest speaker, teacher. Her name is Stephanie Noble, a brilliant, brilliant sister in Christ. And she will be the first black graduate of the Ph.D. program in intercultural studies at Trinity. Uh, we had her for the second to last class, and her talk with us was highly informative right, and convicting, giving us our historicity, facts, stats, and, and personal experience pertaining to the injustice, and the oppression, and mistreatment of black Americans. One of the things she shared about was what she and her community are actively doing in combating the forced displacement of the black communities in the region that she grew up in, located in the west side of Chicago, Garfield Park. Why are they being displaced? Well, mainly due to government-funded, multi-million projects unfolding in their communities. In turn, new communities being built, causing the present communities to be forced to relocate from the homes that people have lived in for their entire lives. And having all this happen without any of their say, without any of their permission. For those who may not know that this is going on or what this is, it's called gentrification. And, and yeah, it's a thing. It's, it's one of the many injustices taking place in our cities. And it's happening in the black and less privileged communities of Chicago today. Just imagine being forcibly uprooted from a home that you've grown up in pretty much all of your life. Imagine the heartbreak, imagine the trauma, the broken dreams, and the plans crushed because you're being forced from your home and you have no say. You have no say in any of it. And this is what Stephanie and her neighbors and church family are fighting. They are fighting against the injustice to stay where they believe God wants them to be in order to bring shalom to their portion and inheritance, which is their neighborhood. God commands us to be generous and always take care of those who make up and are represented by the disempowered triad. In such a community, shalom has a chance. It has a chance to flourish. In such a community, God will be glad to assign his name and dwell. Emmanuel is a church. I, I see the fight, you know, in bringing shalom to where we've been called to as well. I want to give an encouragement, a blessing, you know, uh, thanks to God for, for Pastor Chris, you know, you know Catalyst, uh, for Ian, Richard's son, and for the supply drives and the collection of essential items for those in need. Right? Carol and the, the leadership for the Giving Tree in partnership with our Savior. You know, thank you to all the adults and the children you know, who, who, for being God's hand of provision you know, to those who need it the most, contributing to this cause. You know, to the elders and congregants initiating and donating to a benevolence fund right, to, help, to help those that need the financial assistance during this hard time. And, and many of you, many of you who are expressing your concern and burden through providing and ministering to your communities, praise the Lord. Right? I praise God for each and every one of you. 
And here's what I ask for each of us to do. It's, um, I do ask for all of us to keep a sensitive ear and observe how the Lord may be calling you to move out of your comfort zones, to move out of our regular orbits of living, and to reach, help, show compassion and love for those who may be suffering by the hands of unfair systems or by this job-annihilating, life-stealing pandemic and those suffering under the selfishness and greed of others. May you have a sensitive ear to the ways in which God may be calling you and your family and bringing shalom to our society. You know, um, shortly after Stephanie spoke to our class, another sad and devastating event occurred amongst the black community that caused another round of nationwide protests. Upon hearing the news, I emailed Stephanie to ask her how she, her family, and her community were doing and how we can pray for her. And, and her email reply uh, read as follows. Thank you so much for inquiring me about my extended family of believers here about me and my extended family of believers here. On the evening of the incident, I did not sleep at all. I was so disturbed by all that is broken, not only in the public square, but firstly, but firstly within the body of Christ. This is where my deepest burden is. I'm praying that this church in this nation will recapture a holy identity and reclaim its holy mission. I pray for the one new man, church described in Ephesians 2, to come together and raise, arise as Christ's witness in this broken context. In the verses that she's referring to is Ephesians 2, 13 to 16. And it reads this, But now in Christ Jesus, you who once were far off have been brought near by the blood of Christ. For he himself is our peace, who has made us both and has broken down his flesh, the dividing wall of hostility, by abolishing the law of commandments uh, expressed in ordinances that he might create in himself one new man in place of the two, so making peace and might reconcile us both to God in one body through the cross, thereby killing the hostility. You see, Stephanie's prayer request astounded me. Out of all the things Stephanie could have asked for, asked for us to pray for, you know, for injustice, for justice to be served, right? for, for, those responsible to be held, for those responsible to be held accountable, for protection and so on, she asked for what? Prayer. For what? For unity within the church. As we move into this last area where shalom is broken, Stephanie asks the children of God, the big C church, to become one. One. Why is this such a big deal? Well, look, like, this has been quite a year, hasn't it? It's been quite a year, a time where we have had every reason and opportunity to be divided right, based on our views, opinions, beliefs. But in order for shalom to occur, there must be shalom amongst us in order to bring shalom to our world. That's the big deal. It'll only happen with one another, a united front. Jesus says it himself when he talks about the kingdom of Satan and his demons. Matthew 12, 25. Every kingdom divided against itself is laid waste, and no city or house divided against itself will stand. The same holds true for the people of God. You know, I was talking to a brother, and he told me, based on his views, based on his political views and opinions, he was actually berated by other brothers in Christ. No one should be berated by fellow brothers and sisters for political views. You know, consider this a call for the church to handle each other's differences with respect, 
with consideration and love, knowing that our greatest bond lies in, not in our political or socioeconomic views, but in the promise and call of Christ by the power of his blood to bring shalom as we experience shalom in the church. A togetherness, a oneness is how shalom will be manifested in our world from his church. Look, if, you, if you're experiencing fragmentation from the fellowship or relational wall between you and an individual or group of people in the church family, God has called you to, now is a good time to hear each other, pray for each other, and move with one another forward in Christ's will and mission of shalom for this world. Look, I, um, I have one more story uh, and testimony that was shared by our sister Stephanie during her time with us. She shared how she is part of a ministry that has been leading a campaign and effort called Scarlet Hope, where they ask different families in the neighborhood to hang these, these red cords on their windows and doors right, as a sign of intercession, prayerful intercession for their communities, to, to pray for a stop of the violence, to pray with one another, to pray for their neighbors of their respective neighborhood blocks. And she reported at the time that there were 480 families and counting who received and hung that red cord as a sign of prayerful intercession. And as you know, the violence in our city of Chicago has been overwhelmingly devastating. And Stephanie testified that every neighborhood that have that they have distributed these red cords to, they have not seen one murder on those blocks. Not one. Not one murder where shootings and killings were at an all-time high. Not, not one. You see, a gathered ministry, a gathered people, unified for a greater mission of shalom, working together and accomplishing the restoration of all things. God, God is working and using his people to bring shalom in the midst of the pandemic, chaos and division in the, in the most devastating of circumstances. And the God of shalom is on the move. May we as a church be a place of shalom, right, to bring shalom whether it is regaining shalom with our relationship with God, with the larger society, or with one another, we can clearly see this. We can clearly see this, right? Shalom is not just a passive state of being. It is an active and engaged state of living. I'll say that again. Shalom is not just a passive state of being. It is an active and engaged state of living. Yes, look, Jesus is the Prince of Peace. The Prince of Shalom, yes, of course, because he brings peace, reconciliation, a relationship between us and God. But look, like Colossians 1, 19, 20 says this, For in him all the fullness of God was pleased to dwell, and through him to reconcile to himself all things, whether on earth or in heaven, making peace by the blood of his cross. Yes, that's true. Jesus is our Prince of Peace. But, but in that reconciliation with the Father, he also enables us to be the people of peace, right? the people of Shalom calling us, enabling us, empowering us to be his disciples of peace. Look, in Matthew 5, 9, in Jesus' Sermon in the Mount, he says this, what? Blessed are the peacemakers. Blessed are the peacemakers, for they shall be called sons of God. In other words, those who are the children of God, they will be the peacemakers, erupting shalom in this broken world, right? living out, their divine calling as shalom makers. 
The gospel call is not just about your salvation. The gospel call is to usher in the way of shalom, the kingdom of shalom, where it is absent. It's it's a wrong and grievous attitude to think, well, you know, God's going to do it. Yeah, he'll, he'll bring shalom anyway. Yeah, yeah. Well, when Jesus comes back, it'll be done with a swipe of his mighty hand. Wrong, right? Bad theology. Yes, God will eventually bring out complete shalom in the end, but he will do it through his people building shalom now. Our participation with him will not stop even into eternity. God can do it in many other ways, but the main vehicle where shalom will erupt in this world is by by his people. Shalom starts with God and becomes reality through God's people. This Advent season, as we look to put love and faith and action before God, affecting our community and society and and looking to be together as one church, united, in order to bring a greater portion of shalom into this shattered and fragmented world. I go back to the question, right? What is God's dream? What is God's dream? Dr. Carissa Quinn, a Hebrew scholar and also the digital learning manager of the Bible Project, the series that we're in, puts it this way. Shalom talks about the coming together that has been fragmented from the whole. Me and you, us and the other, mind and body, knowledge and action. This community, that community, the vulnerable and the privileged, the powerful and the powerless. Shalom is about the reuniting of all the integration of life itself. God's dream is shalom. Shalom in your relationship with him. Shalom in your relationships with society. Shalom in your relationships within the church. May we do what Jesus came to do and empowers us to do, to restore all that is broken and separated, that it could be made into a complete whole. To bring about unity and diversity, giving us a clear vision of eternity. Father, may your kingdom of shalom come. Let's pray. Just take a moment and maybe pray. Ask the Lord for power and strength for shalom in your, maybe your relationship with him. Shalom in your relationships in society, with society. And shalom in your relationships within the church. Right? What, which one is it for you? Right? Where is God addressing your heart and situation at this time as it concerns his mission for shalom for all creation? Just take a moment, just give a second to pray.